Our scripture this morning is from Matthew 26, verses 1 through 16. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you will always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him thirty pieces of silver. And from that moment he saw an opportunity to betray him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, again, good morning and welcome. My name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, it's good to, to be together as we continue in uh, Matthew. Uh, let, me, let me pray for us as we get started. God, we are so grateful that you have spoken through your word um, and that you've given us your spirit to, to know and to understand these things. God, would you root them deep into our hearts, into our lives. Help us to see whether, whether for some of us the story may be brand new. For others, it seems um, one that we've heard many, many times. God, regardless, I pray that we would find ourselves in the story that we would see who we are in this, and that we would see more clearly who you are, Lord Jesus, as our Savior. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I can tell you, I am I, I'm probably the cheapest person I know. Um, I mean, or frugal, right? Sounds better to say that, but let's just face it, I'm cheap. Uh, I, I'm Dutch. I don't know if you know that about me. I'm, I'm 50% Dutch. All right. Yeah, that's right. Um, and so I don't know if you've like heard the phrase going Dutch before, like, you know, when you're going to split the cost of something that's from my heritage. Okay. Like my people came up with that. Our contribution to the world is windmills, wooden shoes, and going halvesies on dinner. Okay. Um, so I, I have that in my background and then add to that, like, I never, I never knew we were poor growing up. I never felt poor. We, we had all of our needs were provided for. Uh, and yet at the same time, we were definitely, you know, the, one of the families on, on reduced school lunch. Um, that was part of, part of who we are. Some of you know uh, what's, what that's like. And so I grew up knowing that every penny matters, right? Every financial decision counts. A penny saved is a penny earned, yada, 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 right? I'm, I'm a cheapskate. It's just kind of who I am. And when I read this story... I've always felt this way. I mean, I got to tell you, I, I identify more with Judas in the ticked off disciples than I do with Jesus and this woman. And I don't, I don't know how much you know about the Bible, um, but identifying with Judas, like, it's not great, okay? Like, he is, he's definitely the bad guy here. And yet I read this, I'm like, seriously, what a waste, I mean, scholars estimate that this perfume was probably worth somewhere around a year's wages. Take your yearly salary 
and, you know, dump it on top of Jesus' head, right? I mean, at least he smells nice, I guess, right? And I don't, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves uh, yet, but I'm not, I'm not crazy, am I? It almost feels like Judas had the better idea, right? And this woman, I mean, can you just imagine with me you doing something, anything, today, you today, doing something that people 2,000 years from now would still gather and talk about all over the world. Like her, her story has been told in nearly every language, in nearly every place, for nearly two millennia. And Jesus commends her, which kind of got me thinking, have I been trying to go Dutch with Jesus? Havesies with the, all, the Almighty? Am I, am I stingy towards him? And I'm not just talking about money, although money is certainly included, but like with my time and, and my abilities and my family and my resources, my privileges, my relationships, like am I stingy with Jesus? Or maybe another way of saying it, am I more like Judas or am I more like this woman? Okay, so... This is our 50th week in Matthew. I counted up, 50, count them, 50. Not 15, uh, if you're new, 50. Uh, but we only have seven, seven more to go. Uh, and this, this week marks kind of this final transition in Matthew's writing. We've had this long section of Jesus' teaching. And now, and, and everything in Matthew is leading towards the cross. But especially these last chapters, everything is pointing towards his death, towards the king's triumph. Today's also the, the first Sunday in Lent, which is the time that Christians have for centuries set aside to enter in and to, to remember Christ's suffering on our, on our behalf. Um, hopefully last week you picked up our, our Lenten devotional book. Uh, we've put that together for you. It's, it's free. You can grab it on your way out. Just short uh, readings um, that go along with this story to help us enter in to the great celebration that we have ahead of us on, on Easter, Easter Sunday. Hope you, hope you grab one. But back, back to the story here. Uh, what we're going to do this morning, we're just going to walk through it together, try to tell the story. You can follow along if you want. Matthew 26 is where we're at. Uh, we'll tell the story, and we'll try to get a little practical towards the end. Hopefully figure out what it means uh, for us. Okay, so it is still Tuesday in this story, at least at the beginning of, of, of how Matthew tells it. It's Tuesday. Jesus dies on Friday. You kind of keep that timeline in mind. And he just finished his, his lengthy uh, sermon for his disciples on the Mount of Olives, largely about the end of the world, right? We talked for, you know, four weeks. We went through kind of his last section of, of major teaching. And every, every sermon needs a conclusion, right? Uh, every, every preacher needs to figure out what the finale is going to be. Um, and for Jesus, I mean, honestly, it couldn't really be more shocking than what he says. Look at verse 1. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, what we've just talked about for four weeks, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days, the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Like before we get to this strange story with the perfume, like we have to realize what Matthew is doing and the way he's placed it, the way he's telling it. He wants us to know that this is the backdrop, that Jesus has just once again said, my death is near. And he's told, he's told this to his disciples. 
And Jesus, like none of this surprises Jesus. The cross didn't catch him off guard. Like he, he knows that this is why he's come. This is what it's all been building for. Everything has pointed to this. And so Jesus, he says this, and then Matthew tells us right there, he, he says that the religious leaders, the plans are getting more and more intense, more and more hostile against Jesus. In fact, they have plans now to arrest him and kill him, but their plans are to wait. Like, we don't need to do this during the feast. Like, let's not do it during Passover. That's just poor taste, right? It's bad for business. The crowds are here. They'll be all ticked off. Let's not do it then. Which, of course, we know they do do it then, right? I mean, it's almost like Matthew is sort of subtly saying, it's like, they're not going to do this for a while yet unless they get a little help, unless there's a traitor involved, unless someone just makes it really, really easy, like too hard to resist. All right, we'll do it now, right? That's kind of what's going on. And so meanwhile, that's how it's set up. And then like this, like Matthew changes the scene. And all of a sudden, they're, they're having dinner together at, at the home of, of Simon the leper in, in Bethany. And so picture, you know, them together, Jesus, the disciples, other, other friends. They're reclining, probably laughing. They're satisfied. They're filled. They're there eating. And it's, it's weird enough that Jesus is at the home of a leper, right? I mean, that's, scholars debate that, like, is this someone Jesus healed? Is that why he was there? Or, you know, was he still, you know, content? Like all these sort of images, like a leper was an outcast, they were ceremonial and clean, they were deeply feared by, by everyone. And Jesus, of course, he could just be looking for another way to buck the system, right? He's constantly doing that to people's expectations. But regardless of why they're there, you can, you can bet that the disciples are already just a tiny bit uncomfortable, right? At the very least, like they probably are a little on edge. And so there they are, reclining, relaxing, when this woman with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment. You see, it was, it was common in, in those days for, for those who could with resources or who had it passed down through as a family heirloom or had just saved for it, it was common that, to wear like a jar of perfume around your neck. Like, so you wouldn't actually put the perfume on, you'd, you'd wear it around you and it sort of slowly emanate through the, the bottle. That way it'd last for years and years and years, right? Um, it is incredibly expensive, very, very valuable. Um, and, like, I mean, just think, like, you know, deodorant, it's not invented yet, okay? Showers haven't arrived. Baths are hard to come at. I mean, it's kind of nasty, right? And so she's, she's probably there wearing it simply to cover her own stench, right? Wearing it around her neck. Whether she intended to do this when she got there, we don't really know, right? But she's, she's wearing this, this, this jar, and at some point in the dinner, she, she takes the jar, she breaks it. She pours it over Jesus' head. And an entire year's wages flow through his hair. And I don't, I don't know about you, but I have like so many questions for this woman. I mean, don't you wish she just like asked? Like, I mean, like was, this, was it premeditated? Right? Did you come to the dinner plant bringing it for that, or was it just sort of you were just caught up in the moment? You couldn't, couldn't help yourself. Uh, how long had you saved for it? Or, or was, it, was it a family heirloom, something that had been given to you? How, what did you sacrifice in order to, to get it? How hard had you worked? Were you, were you embarrassed like, to publicly show Jesus such incredible affection there in, in that moment? And frankly, I'd like to ask, like, what about tomorrow? Like, aren't you worried then? Like, when you, when you stink again? 
Seriously, like, or, or what if tomorrow your money runs out and you can't buy food to eat? Here, here is essentially your life savings, what you could sell to provide for yourself. And it's gone in a second. Did she regret it? We don't know the answers to those questions. But in that moment there, she doesn't care. In that moment, she wants to give Jesus everything. And this is probably the best thing that she has, sort of as this, almost a symbol of, of her heart, her soul, her affections, her identity, all of it. I mean, there was just something about Jesus, something about that moment that she couldn't help but give. Like she just didn't want to go halvesies with him anymore. And put yourself there in that room. And all of a sudden, the room comes alive with fragrance. I mean, smells are so powerful, aren't they? Like, all, all of a sudden, like, it overwhelms your senses, and you're like, what is that wonderful? Oh. Oh. Really? I mean, right? I mean, they're, they're like, they, they see it, and yet they, they don't really see it. Like, they don't see the beautiful thing that she's done. I mean, this is Jesus' disciples, the people who have been with him from the beginning, who he has told over and over again that I'm going to die soon, right? They don't, they completely miss the significance of this moment of what is happening at this time. They should have been the ones. And yet instead, in verse 8, when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, outraged, saying, why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. And I'm, I'm right with them. Aren't you? Like, what a ridiculous waste. Keep it, sell it, save it, redistribute it, anything but this. I mean, think of it sort of like, you know, emptying out your 401k to buy one super old bottle of scotch to give to a friend, Right? I mean, maybe it's a nice gesture. I don't know. But like, what are you thinking? Like, why would you possibly do this? Or here's another example. Did you hear about um, this last fall after the American Royal, the barbecue competition, all the, the, all the, the wasted barbecue? Did you hear about this at all? It's on the news. Uh, so anyway, I didn't know this. You're probably familiar with the competition, right? It's a big deal in Kansas City. It's the world's best barbecue, yada, yada, yada. Uh, and, and like... Um, Charitable organizations like organize around this to, to give all the leftovers to the needy in our city, right? To the homeless and those who just can't buy it for themselves and are hungry or, or whatever. And so it's a normal thing. And it's usually like somewhere in the like, thousands of pounds um, that get distributed to these different organizations. One such organization received 700 pounds. And everybody was lined up. People were ready to go, like hungry people ready to feast on this meal. Uh, but the health department did an inspection. And the food wasn't from a, a, like a registered source. And so they dumped it all in a dumpster and covered it with bleach so no one would go in after it. 700 pounds. Like, and everybody went hungry. Because they, you know, couldn't ensure its safety. I mean, I don't know if you know this, but starving, it's also not safe. Um, I've been told. Um, I don't know. But like you hear it, it's like, I mean, like that feeling of outrage, right? Of like, how could this be possible? Who would do this? Like, what a waste. And imagine the disciples. 
I mean, come on, lady, you could have at least given it to the poor. In verse 10, but Jesus, aware of this, aware of their, their anger, said to the disciples, why do you trouble this woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. Now listen, Jesus, he's not ignoring the poor, right? He's not disregarding them. Or put, that's not, of course not. Like if you've been with us in Matthew, so much of Jesus' of, uh, mission has, has centered along the poor and the disenfranchised and, and any marginalized people. In fact, last week we said followers of Jesus love who the world ignores. And yet what he's pointing to is that there is something unique, unprecedented, and never before, never after repeated about this, this moment in human history. And so he tells us, here's what's happened in verse 12. Jesus says, in pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. That Jesus is being prepared to die. The most important event in human history. I mean, I believe that. Like, if God has actually come to this earth, right, suffered and died, crucified on our behalf, and came back to life three days later, I mean, you think about all the events in human history, like, none even come close to this, right? Nothing could compete. This week is the climax of everything. And this woman, in this ridiculous act, knows more than she knows. Preparing the Son of God for the very moment for which he came. And what the disciples are blind to, the woman sees. And this is, this is just a side thing. But let me just say, like, one of the reasons I believe the gospel writers are true, like they're writing historical fact for us, is because nobody in the first century would make up a story like this. Like, there's just no way. Like, I don't know if you know this, but, like, uh, Middle East, first century, like, women were not particularly respected, okay? And, and yet, like, if you read the Gospels over and over again, it's the women who get it, not the disciples, right? And nobody would make that up. Like, uh, not only was the Bible way ahead of its time when it comes to human rights and the dignity of all people, regardless of who you are, like way ahead of its time, nobody, nobody would make up a story like this. Not like this. And so Jesus, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. I mean, you got to love Jesus, right? Like, who is this guy? I mean, think about, like, what kind of audacity to say, hey, you know what, later on, like, for years and years and years, like, for the rest of human history, when people talk about this moment, my story, like, in all parts of the world, right? I mean, that's what he's saying. Like, isn't that ridiculous? Who does that? And yet, here we are, 2,000 years and 6,000 miles away, gathered together to hear this story. It's kind of wild, isn't it? But for Judas, it's the last straw. Like, I don't, I don't know what it is, but like at this moment, Judas is like, I'm out. That's it. I'm done. Jesus, uh, we're, yeah, we're finished. Like, because Judas, like he's, he's one of the 12, okay, one of Jesus' core disciples, which means he, he heard all the sermons. You know, he saw at least most of the miracles. They traveled together, ate together, hung out together, friends. And yet for some reason, Judas gets up in this moment, leaves the dinner, and sells Jesus 
for next to nothing. Verse 14. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver, which, by the way, is roughly the price of a slave during that time period. I mean, it's like, it's, it's nothing, honestly. And from that moment, Judas sought an opportunity to betray him. What will you give me if I give you Jesus? What will you give me? I mean, it's... It almost has sort of the tone of like, just, they're just trading Pokemon cards, right? Doesn't matter. What, I got Jesus. I don't want him anymore. What do we give it? 30 pieces over? Fine, fine. I don't care, right? I mean, it's almost like he doesn't negotiate. It's almost just like, whatever you will give me, I, I'm just done. Just take care of him for me. Get him out of my sight. I'm finished. And again, this is another one of those spots where I just, man, I've got so many questions, don't you? I mean, mostly like, why, Judas? Like, what was it? What was the turning point, the change? Why'd you do it? Was it all Jesus talking about his death? Like, if he mentions his burial or the cross, one more time, so help me, right? Was that it? Or was it, was it, was it just sort of, you know, this is, it's too slow. Like, this is not the revolution I signed up for. When are we going to overthrow the Romans? Maybe that was it. Maybe, maybe it's just like the shocking nature of the kingdom Jesus keeps describing, and it's just exhausting at this point for him. I don't know. You know, part of me actually wonders, I mean, the other gospel writers, they mentioned that they called Judas a thief. They referred to him as his, his greed. Um, I wonder if that played a part. I don't think it was just greed. Because, like, you would have thought he would have asked for more money, right? I mean, he's sitting on a gold mine. Part of me wonders, and this, this is just my guess, but part of me wonders if, if it was seeing this woman's extravagant, heart-abandoned love for Jesus did it just point out like his own cold, stingy, hard-heartedness? Like, I just wonder, like, like, is this moment for Judas, like he's like looking in a funhouse mirror, you know, except instead of seeing his image distorted, does he see himself actually for who he really is for the first time? I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know, but there's something here, and I know at the very least that Matthew wants us to see these stories together. No matter, I mean, they're so extreme, right? Both sides, so out there. And yet I'm convinced Matthew is trying to show us that, friends, you can, you can anoint him with everything or you can sell him for nothing. And that's, that's it. You can anoint him with everything or sell him for nothing. Are you more like Judas or this woman? Which one will you be? What does the mirror reveal about you? Because there's no middle ground with Jesus. I mean, we've seen that in Matthew. We, we, we want middle ground. We wish there was. We're like, I kind of like him. I kind of trust him, you know, but not with these. Like, we want a middle space. But the reality is, in Matthew, you can either crown him or crucify him. That's it. Like, you can hate him or you can love him. You can give him everything or you can, you can sell him for nothing. The one thing you can't do when it comes to Jesus is ignore him. Dismiss him. Be passive towards him. Are you going to be this woman? Or are you going to be Judas? And as I've wrestled that with that this week, I, I've grabbed on three lessons from this, this story, I think, that, that, that I see, I think they're there, um, that help me discern. You know, Judas or, or this woman? Three things. First, and you can't miss this from the story, the first thing is Jesus wants everything from you. Everything, all of it. 
Like Jesus commends her for her extravagant generosity and we still tell her story. Think about that. Now, obviously, we can't do exactly what she did, right? She was at a unique moment in history. Like Jesus was there moments before his death to be able to do this for him. And we, we can't do that. And yet you see in this story, like no cost is too high. No gift too extravagant, no affection too strong, no sacrifice too big. Nothing he cannot ask of us. I mean, listen, can, can you say yes to Jesus before you even know what he's going to ask? I mean, just think about that. Like, can you say yes to him, like signing a blank check? Yes, Jesus, before you even know the question. What's the hardest thing for you as you think about that? <laughs> we can sit down and talk about the things that I struggle with. Because um, this, is, this is hard for, for me, for all of us, right? What's the hardest thing for you? Money, time, relationships. He wants all of it. Your career, your family, your hobbies. He demands it all. Your health, your life, your reputation. If you want to follow Jesus, it all belongs to him. For, for example, um, uh, Kelly and I, will, we will celebrate 15 years of, of marriage in June. Um, and I can, I can remember back to like those early, you know, days dating and, and all of that. I mean, I don't remember them well. It's a long time ago. Um, I, but I do remember them. And, and one thing I remember, and, and this is probably common for many of us, right? I don't think it's a unique experience for us. But like in those early moments, those months, those early years, like there's nothing she couldn't ask of me. Like, nothing that would be too extreme, nothing, nothing no, ex, no extravagance, too, too big, like, in those, in those moments, because I, I love her, and there's nothing I wouldn't do. And as I was thinking about this, this story, I mean, you might, you might be a churchgoer, like, you're here, so that's, prob- that's possible. Uh, you might consider yourself a, a follower of Jesus, but let me just ask, like, do you even like him? Like, do you even like Jesus? Like, is there any scenario in your life where you could... You could, you could come to him with such abandon as, in this, as this woman does, where you're just like looking for stuff to give, right? Like so caught up in affection towards him. Our allegiance always follows our affection. Like our, our, where our hearts go, right? It's, it's where we, ch- we chase with our life, the things that we love, do we, even, do we even like this guy? And do we love him? Any, anything like this? Jesus wants everything. Second, and there's a little hope with this one, I think. Um, Jesus isn't just squandering what we give him. Uh, in fact, I think it's, it's clear in the story that nothing is wasted if given to Jesus. Nothing is wasted if given to Jesus. Even just think about all the waste in your life. Think about it, like all the waste in your life. I gotta waste money, I buy stuff I don't need or you know, even really want necessarily, like just collecting stuff. I waste time uh, doing stupid stuff, like just looking at things on my phone or, or just being, being lazy. I waste opportunities to love my wife and to disciple my kids. I, I waste relationships and emotions and, and words and like, I maybe mean, think about it, like there is a growing landfill around each one of us, isn't there? of all the waste, waste and waste and waste. And yet nothing is wasted if given to Jesus. Nothing is wasted if if given to Jesus. I mean, this woman, like, what a waste. Perfume in Jesus' hair. Good grief, who really cares? 
Jesus does. And the moment she gives even the simple thing to him, it matters forever. Like, like this, this tiny little moment, this blip of human history, it ripples, like it echoes on and on and on and forever. And she literally, literally will be remembered forever, always. Well, Judas is remembered as the worst betrayer in human history, like since the serpent himself. And yet, uh, yet you and I, we sell Jesus for less than that every day, don't we? We'll sell him for a moment of pleasure, a fleeting little blip of happiness, right, what we think is going to satisfy us. We'll, we'll sell him for, for success or a moment of power, independence, or what feels like control for us. Or maybe if we're honest, you know, maybe we think, you know, actually, I would, I would trade Jesus for healthy kids. I'd make that trade. Or maybe, maybe we think, you know, I'd, I'd trade Jesus for a big house. That's why we don't tithe, right? I'd trade, I'd trade Jesus for, for good grades, and so we'll cheat. I'll, I'll trade Jesus for, for a relationship, for a spouse, and so we'll, we'll date somebody who doesn't believe the same things as us. And we do, we make all these trades, don't we? Constantly, in, in every aspect, and, and we're selling Jesus over and over again, and we think that by doing so, we're going to gain something. Like 30 pieces of silver. But the opposite is also true. Nothing is wasted if given to Jesus, but everything is wasted without him. Everything. I mean, your kids turn out successful, great, but they want nothing to do with Jesus. You get promoted to the very, very top, and you, you're up there, and now you're alone, right? Without him. Your, your 401k grows and grows and grows, or the, the accumulation of my things, like all the stuff that I love to try to make myself happy. And the reality is every one of us is going to die empty-handed. It's just the way it works. Why not empty those hands now? No one ever, ever dies thinking, man, I wish I hoarded more money. I wish I would have wasted more time. Why did I spend such, so much quality time with my kids, right? I'm like, nobody gets the end. Man, I wish I'd squandered more of it. Listen. This is going to hurt a little bit, but I'm going to say it anyway. I'm talking to myself here. Like, whatever you hold on to, you're going to ruin it. Or squander it. Or, or die somehow glued to it. And I know that's, that's, that feels painful, right, to, to say, to, to hear, to think about, but that, I'm t- I just know myself too well. I, I need someone else to manage my family and my money and my priorities and, and my work and my, my relationships and like, I just, my time. I need somebody else. And he's going to do better stuff with it than I would because nothing is wasted if given to Jesus. Finally, and most importantly, Oh, thank God for this. We're not just given to some tyrant. Like, we're not just given to some cruel God who's, like, arbitrarily making these rules and asking for stuff to, to kill our joy. No, the reality is no one deserves it like Jesus. No one deserves it like him. This isn't just some carpenter, some rabbi, a friend. This, this is the king. Like the king of everything, the one who made the perfume, the one who made this woman. 
And it's not because he's, he's sitting back, soaking up all the attention. No, he, he set his glory aside, entered our frailty, and she anoints him for his burial. I mean, friends, we, we only think the most extravagant giver in this story is the woman. Right? That's, that's what we focus on. That's what we, we assume. I mean, yeah, and she's generous, but come on, right? Like she's anointing the only one who's ever given, truly given everything on behalf of others. Like we, we see her reckless extravagance and think, how could she do that? And yet God, I mean, like whose love is more reckless, right? That he sends his son knowing that it's going to lead in death, pursuing us, knowing that many of us are going to continue to reject him. And even those of us who, who receive him are going to continue to run and fight from him, fight him. He is the one who left his throne, entered our world, died on a cross, and burst forth from the grave. Yes, this woman, like she broke the jar and she poured out a perfume, but our God broke his own son for you. Jesus poured out his own blood so that we could know life and forgiveness, wholeness and acceptance, freedom from my stinginess and forgiveness and my cheapskate heart. For he has given us everything. And he deserves everything in return, not out of duty, but of, of joy, delight, celebration. For what is our meager gift? I mean, really? What is our meager gift? Even if it's everything, everything you have, everything you are, every hope and dream you and I have ever possessed, what is our meager gift compared to what he's offering us? And so let me ask Will you sell him for nothing? Or will you anoint him with everything? Let's pray. God, we need your help. I need your help. God, I, I pray that you would do the work of prying open our fingers, even if it hurts, so that we can, we can learn to give to you everything. And I pray that we would take hope in the fact that what we give, you will not waste. Lord Jesus, we thank you. God, I am so thankful that you, in this story, even though you ask us to do really hard things, that you never ask us to do anything that you haven't been willing to do yourself on our behalf. That you have poured out everything for us. Let us receive. Let us celebrate. Let us respond with joy and delight for all that you've given. But Jesus, you're going to have to do that work in us. And so we pray that you would.